Welcome to Your Own Words, a podcast that celebrates the love of reading with real people and real books, both critically acclaimed and slated. Listeners are encouraged to read along and join the journey through the libraries of friends newly discovered. This podcast may contain spoilers, feminist rants, curse words, and mispronunciations of names, cities, and more. I'm Alison. I'm back. And this is Your Own Words. Episode three? Episode three. We've made it. <laughs> Read any good books lately? Um, yeah, the one that we're going to talk about today, basically. Me too. I, I have no other to talk about. No, because once we finish <laughs> reading this one... I needed a break and a holiday and some serious therapy. A hundred percent accurate. Also, yeah. I didn't want to like read something else and get out of the headspace of this book before we talked about it. I'm so I've been confused. like waiting and I've got our next book sitting on this shelf like, yeah. read me. And I That um, is coming on holiday with me next week. Ooh. It's going to be my holiday Where book. are you going? Dublin. Of course you're going to Dublin. That's yeah. very exciting. I need to plan a holiday <laughs> that, as well. You sounded so <laughs> so Sorry. Nice. Context. Beck is that's Irish and she goes to Dublin a lot. I'd like literally every week. Yeah. It's getting a bit boring now, isn't it? No, it's fine. Although maybe I should go with <laughs> you Dublin next again. Time. Christ, <laughs> pick a new vacation. Yeah, stop reading books on a hill. So this is a bit weird and different because mm. this is the first time we actually have we have a guest. Another human. There's another person looking at us right now. It's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have no idea how we're going to do this. It's the first time we've had a guest, so we're just going to go along with it. Um, so without further ado, should I will we say hello. Well, I'm going to introduce. Oh, her. okay. Sorry, I was jumping the gun. Yeah. So, our very first guest on the Your Own Words podcast is Sonia Singh. Uh, Sonia is currently working in the tech world as a content marketing manager. She has her BA in sociology and her MA in ethnographic documentary filmmaking. I mean, come on. You and Beck are going to talk afterwards. (laughs) Um, And she has a strong passion for visual storytelling. Sonia is half Punjabi, half Scottish, and grew up in Houston, Texas. Of course. Citizen of the world. (laughs) Um, She's inspired by the different cultures present in her life and is interested in books that provoke empathy and an acceptance of diversity. So, yeah, good picking, then. Good picking. (laughs) You've summed up exactly what you want from a book in this distressing read. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Sonia. Thank you for having me. We're really excited that you're here. I'm excited, too. I'm kind of nervous. I'm excited. I mean, we're probably equally as nervous, if not more nervous than you, So, and we've done it twice really badly already. So, no, the bar is extra low. (laughs) It's only up from here, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Your very presence has already made this better. (laughs) (laughs) True story. So, um, Sonia, Mm. um, Mm. do you remember? We, we just want to obviously get to know you as a reader before we dive into the book you've chosen. Who so, are you? Tell us something about <laughs> yourself. Tell us your story <laughs> succinctly. I want to know more. Um, oh. Do you remember when you kind of fell in love with reading or when was there a time in your life that you remember like starting reading for pleasure instead of like mm. reading because you had to in school? Yeah, probably. I think it was in college, most likely. And the reason I chose this book as well is because Khalid Husseini, if I said his name right, which I hope I, I do. None of us will, but that was better than both of us are going to do. The first book I, that really got to me was The Kite Runner, and that's uh. his first novel. Um, and it's similar in some ways to this book, but it's different in others. It's still based in the Middle East. It's still based in Afghanistan. Um, and he just really got to me. It provoked so much emotion. I just, you know. I fell in love with his way of writing and the way that it put me in a different place of the world and made me empathize with people that, you know, coming from such a you know, suburban, like my comfort zone, I had no idea that this existed outside of, you know, America and what's going on there. And it, <laughs> There's it a just, whole world out there. I know. And I was just like, you know, in college and uni, just living my life, drinking, this whatever. This is all there is. <laughs> and, then all, and then all of a sudden, bam, you know, this happened. And so he's the reason that I started, uh, I don't know, probably reading more for fun and just because I enjoyed, you know, the content. Nice. So I'd probably say that was the first yeah, sometime which, in uni. Which makes sense as to why you would, would choose this book. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah. He's inspiring. Um, 
So, Kite Runner was the first book mm. to sort of read and got you into it. What have you been reading recently? And has there been anything that you've read recently which has had the same effect or a similar effect or that has just Ooh. made you sort of love reading even more? Pro- you know what? Growing up, I never read crucial, essential books like 1984 and Animal Farm. I talked to Allison about this because she was like, I have Animal Farm. You can borrow it. I was like, I really just need to, yeah, educate myself on these books that are so historical and mean so much to the world that I never read growing up. I don't know why I didn't. Yeah. So then I, so that's why I'm reading recently is 1984, Animal Farm. 1984 is like so, oh my God. He wrote it in the 40s and it's such foreshadowing of all the things that are happening right now, especially with like the Trump administration, Brexit, you know, mass surveillance, all these things that he wouldn't have, surely he couldn't have known, but he did. (laughs) It does make you question time travel when that happens. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, (laughs) Like, how do you know what's (laughs) happening when you're, I don't, I don't, it's creepy. It is Mm -hmm. creepy. Yeah. I, it's funny because you obviously wouldn't know about this, but on our last episode, which was the book I chose, we, we talk about how, so Beck has her, you know, master's in writing and is like an English lit student. Um, so she's read everything. And I have read absolutely nothing. So I'm the mm. same as you where I'm like, I haven't read any Jane Austen. Like I haven't. I I did read 1984 in high school, but I hadn't read Animal Farm until last year. I just read uh, To Kill a Mockingbird this year. Like I'm doing the same thing as you where I'm like catching up. Is there, which leads me to the next question, yeah. is there like one book or one author that you're like, most embarrassed that you have not read yet because for me it's probably like probably Austin yeah I just feel like a woman and as a lover of literature like I can't believe I've never read a Jane Austen I love her so much I've seen some films you know (laughs) I love Emma Thompson so I've seen some Jane Austen films I mean who doesn't love Emma Thompson Emma Thompson Dame Emma Thompson if you would like to be on this podcast what a goddess um, that would be basically my dream I think Jane Austen would be pretty chill with her as well I think she'd be like you know what you did Emma, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I would probably agree. I have Jane Austen. I honestly too. don't. Think you ever, have you not have read, you read Jane Austen? You've never read Jane Austen. I don't think so. <gasps> Guy, you guys need to get yourself an oak <laughs> tree. Like literally, what is going on? But my mom is really into those, you know, romantic novels and. Okay, first things first. It's not a romantic novel. Oh, then maybe. I'll, <laughs> oh, no, back again. Punch, punch us both. In the face. <laughs> but that's. I think that's that's, that's a preconceived. It's the misnomer again. Yeah. Austin, yeah. And the the films and the adaptations don't do a great deal of service, I think, to Jane Austen sometimes because they are in that sort of very frilly romance. You know, everyone's looking for Mister Darcy. That's the thing that everyone is told from your like, yay, hi, I'm doing a thing with my hand to show how high you are. <laughs> um, it's low to the ground. <laughs> But there, there's so much. There's so much in Jane Austen that it's a, it's about feminism and politics and mm. uh, class, education, um, identity, womanhood. It, it, it's she's a sarky bitch and she is Brit- yes. she's a goddess. And people often read it with that sort of like frou frou frilly romance thing. She's taking the piss. If you do not read Jane Austen in a sarky tone, you are doing it wrong. She is hilarious and wonderful, but it is that thing of like, oh, my parents read that, or, or it's always on BBC at Christmas. And yeah. Or it's like the obvious thing, like every woman loves yeah. Jane Austen. So, right. you know, part of me, like, and I said this last yeah. time, like, I don't, you know, as a little like rebel teen, I was like, I don't want to read all the things. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to read Anne Rice, which everyone also reads, yeah. but like, I'm going to read goth books. I'm going to read Daphne du Maurier. Yeah. But she is I'm um, Douglas, Douglas Copeland. Even in um, reading Lolita, when. Uh, mm. As Anafisi says, the brilliant thing about Jane Austen is she so identifies personal cruelty in a way that no one else does. She examines mm. people. She examines what is happening in the world and how these structures and society confine people and constrain them and oppress them mm. in a way that no one does. And she is ballsy and hilarious. And everyone should read Jane Austen under a tree in one day with the sun beating down on you because it will be the best <laughs> experience of your life. Go okay. and get Pride and Prejudice right now. Uh, right now, just get right out. now. <laughs> I just gotta leave. Pride you wanna read this book? Get rid this one. Like, come back. You're like, yeah, screw this one. We're, oh wait, so should so Pride and Prejudice first. I, this is what she forced me to buy. Yeah, Pride and Prejudice just whipped me. It absolutely, got, and I did yes. the same thing as well. We, was, you know, we were saying that like, I was like, I don't want to read Jane Austen. You know, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. It's that thing that I always see on TV at Christmas, like I know what it is. I had no idea what I was talking about. I was an idiot. I was wrong. I held my hands up. I made a mistake. <laughs> Jane Austen is a goddess. Oh my gosh. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, Pride and Prejudice is one of my favorite books ever. Okay. And it just, it, I literally read it in a day. It got me. So go and do that. In All right. <laughs> I think before we start talking about this book, though, we need to ask Sonia the most important and pressing mm-hmm. question yeah. of the Your Own Words podcast, uh-huh. which is <gasps> Whose side are you on? <laughs> Whose side are you on? Paperback or hardback? Oh, I'm perfectly happy with whatever you choose. <laughs> are you convinced by that? I'm looking away. I'm to scared. Not... Help. No. Jane Austen, where are you? <laughs> um, I would, you, you know, know what? To be honest, I would say paperback. All right. Just because I'm most comfortable reading paperback. And I don't think I've read a hardback book since ages. Because they don't fit in your tiny hands and you have to carry a plinth around to be able to turn the pages. Ooh, shots fired. Yeah. Yeah. This is coming yeah. for blood. Oh I didn't think our first smart. guest would betray us <laughs> so much. We've got a smart one I feel here. like I'm wondering, but why Because uh, I know who our guest is, our next guest is. Oh, why, why do you want to hear the argument for the other side? Fair. Um, <laughs> I like a hardback because it feels substantial it and is important. Substantial. It's like carrying concrete she me. in your back. <laughs> uh, it's like carrying concrete. I mean, come on. Uh, no, it just feels nice and sturdy. I have a thing with books um, and I don't know how you read. I don't know if you, are you like a, are you like a uh, dog ear? Mm. Dog ear? I like a good bookmark. You use a bookmark. Yeah. Do you like write in your margins? Do you like do you, like, toss it in your handbag, or are you like, I want to keep this pristine? Toss it in my handbag. Okay. See, that's why I like a hardback, because I like to keep it pristine, and hardback, by the nature of being a hardback, is a lot harder to mess up. <laughs> you can't break <laughs> that spine. By the nature of being you know what I mean? No pun there. I'm just saying. You can't crack that spine. Yeah, yeah. You take off the dust cover. I know. But it's not, you it's don't not put comfy. It in it's not keep it in. You take off the dust cover, you, you, yeah. you know, you... You can toss it in your handbag and the pages aren't going to bend and it's not... I, I I'm, had a dust- I'm neurotic. I'm a little OCD. <laughs> you care about your books. I care about my books. I had a dust cover moment the other day. And I, I, what? You had a book with a dust I cover? I had a book with a dust cover on. It upset me. I didn't know she how I'd that. allowed that to still exist in my home. Anyway, back on track. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Sonia, what's the book you chose Ooh. to discuss with us today? I chose A Thousand Splendid Sons by Khalid Husseini. If I said his name correctly, let's hope I did. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he wrote The Kite Runner. Um, and I guess I'll let you guys talk about the summary of it. But it's such yeah. an important book, I think, for not only women to read, but for people, everyone to read. Yeah. Um, and it means a lot to me because it says a lot, speaks to me, and it puts me where they are in their place. And kind of just oh it's a it's an emotional roller coaster guys yeah. if, if you <laughs> yeah. haven't read this book yet then you figured that out it's one of if not the most distressing thing i have ever read in my life wow it's, that's bold it just, and i wasn't expecting it I, it was i was not expecting it it literally you have domestic violence sexual violence abuse trauma and war on top of that war it's all happening to children mm. so if it wasn't bad enough anyway it's all happening to children and it is devastating and no one told me this when I first opened the book <laughs> so I'm like oh here's a jolly little thing about some stuff in a desert um, <laughs> no 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 it will rip your heart out tear it to pieces and shove it back in Ooh, um, I like that it's, it's beautiful it's absolutely stunning it's a it's a very hard read and mm. if you're not prepared for it it yeah. will take you by surprise in a, in a very distressing way but it's it is gorgeous and exactly that it takes you it does mm-hmm. take you to these these lives and, and these women in a way that you would never expect it, mm. it's stunning it's a beautiful book mm-hmm. but yeah be prepared people it's it is not a light read. Do not read no. it on the beach when you're trying to have like a, <laughs> cash, a cash little holiday martini on the side. I'll go crack this open. Yeah. No, no. And you'll be weeping um, on holiday. Yeah, and take some Beatrix Potter. That's what you want for that. A little bit of Voldal. Danny the champion of the world is great on a beach. Uh, this, this is not. Not so much. <laughs> nope. Um, so yeah, I'm going to tell you lovely people what this book is about although you know distress and sadness of course kind of sums that up um 
Mariam is only 15 when she is sent to Kabul to marry the troubled and bitter Rashid, who is 30 years her senior. Nearly two decades later, in a climate of growing unrest, tragedy strikes 15-year-old Layla, who must leave her home and join Mariam's unhappy household. Layla, Layla and Mariam are to find consolation in each other, their friendship to grow as deep as the bond between sisters, as strong as the ties between mother and daughter. With the passing of time comes Taliban rule over Afghanistan. The streets of Kabul, loud with the sound of gunfire and bombs, life a desperate struggle against starvation, brutality and fear, the women's endurance tested beyond their worst imaginings. Yet love can move a person to act in unexpected ways, lead them to overcome the most daunting obstacles with a startling heroism. In the end, it is love that triumphs over death and destruction. A Thousand Splendid Sons was written by Khaled Husseini, who was born in Kabul, Afghanistan in 1965. His father was a diplomat in the Afghan Foreign Ministry, and his mother taught Farsi and history in Kabul. So in 1976, um, their family was relocated to Paris. The the Foreign Ministry sent them there. Uh, And they were going to return to Kabul, to Afghanistan, in, in about 1980, but during the time they'd been in Paris, Afghanistan had suffered uh, a communist coup mm-hmm. uh, and the invasion of the Soviet army. Um, and it was like a very kind of bloody, horrible time um, so that the family was actually granted political asylum in the U.S. So they moved to San Jose, California. So he actually grew up in California. Mm-hmm. And he went to medical school, became a doctor. Um, so he actually began writing The Kite Runner, um, his first book, as you mentioned, uh, in 2001 while he was practicing medicine. And, uh, you know, just it was an amazing hit. It became a, an amazing film, which I haven't seen. Me either. Oh. No, me neither. All right. We've, well, we haven't read The Kite Runner, though. Oh, that's true. We should read that yeah. first. It's on my shelf. <laughs> um, so he's, uh, to date, he's written three books. So to date, those books, The Kite Runner, A Thousand Splendid Sons, uh, and his last one, and The Mountains Echoed, have been published in over 70 countries and sold more than 40 million copies worldwide. <laughs> And on top of being an amazing author, he is also a goodwill ambassador for UNHCR, which is a UN refugee agency. And on top of that, he established uh, the Khaled Husseini Foundation, um, which provides humanitarian assistance to the people of Afghanistan. What do you think he does in his spare time? (laughs) I mean... (laughs) <laughs> so he's he's like, already saving children. Put his feet up. Like, he's I've saved doctor. them. I've saved them. I've saved he's them. He's reading Jane Austen. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. One million percent, yes. So, Sonia, you already said you, you read this book when mm-hmm. you were in college, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, how did you, how did you come upon this book? Was it like a gift to you? Did you just randomly stumble on it? Do you remember? Oh, my gosh. Well, because I read The Kite Runner first, but yeah. I don't remember how I even stumbled upon that. I think it was recommended to me right simple as that and then I read it loved the kite runner so I thought okay I'll read a thousand splendid sons did it within yeah I think you guys read it within a couple of days I read yeah, it yeah literally I couldn't days. I couldn't put it down yeah it's like a it's a hard read and emotionally speaking yeah. but you know to actually get through the book you can it, absolutely like yeah bumble through it completely easy, yeah. you don't you don't need emotionally you need quite a lot of of energy for it but it doesn't take a lot of focus. I felt you, I've just found myself blitzing through chapters yeah. without even really yeah. thinking about it, and just it was, it, yeah, it was very easy to get through. Yeah. yeah, I think he traps you in that moment as well, yeah. so you feel like you need to. Find and you don't, out. you don't want to stop. You because he, he does an annoying thing where pretty much every chapter, every section, you think you've got to like a nice happy medium, and everything's just plodding along and then he just pounds you with something yes. so you have to read the next chapter you have to go into the next section and before you know it you're halfway through the book exactly you actually yeah. beat me on this as I well did. yeah did she you? was beating me uh, we, we raced <laughs> when we read because um, we were constantly in, in conversation so she's like oh my god and I'm like oh I just was complaining I'm like oh stop it because like you're reading so fast I'm so busy at work like I'm not going to have time and then I was like I just sent her a picture of my crying face and I was like finish and she's like wait like, what how, yeah, how you wrote you? what like 75 <laughs> yeah. times because like, you were on what? section what? 2 and yeah. then literally an hour later it's like I, in tears like, I how is I saw your crying face too yeah I said yeah. to both of you you're welcome what part did you cry at the end the very end Cried all the way oh, through. Okay. Um, I just could not stop. Yeah, crying. we won't. So we. So here's here's that we we try not to like give away the entire story of the book mm. or give away the ending. Okay. But you know, naturally, in discussing a book, there's going to be some spoilers. So don't yeah. don't shy away from those. Okay. I'm wondering if you, because you did just reread this or at mm. least re-familiarize before coming on here. Do you want to? Obviously, the 
the synopsis paints, paints like a really lovely poetic picture. But do you want to kind of talk through the basics of like what happens in the story? <clears throat> yeah. Like as, as I clear my throat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for <laughs> Without say. further ado. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just um, so yeah, A Thousand Splendid Sons, it starts with Miriam, who mm-hmm. obviously is living with her mother, who is... Uh, troublesome to say the least and yeah. her dad's also troublesome to yeah. say the least yeah. I mean those two characters already you can we can discuss because it's like the mom um, she's obviously her she's called a harami I believe yeah which, which is, is bastard exactly right? yeah so she's kind of born from me too Miriam me too <laughs> <laughs> yeah so she's obviously living uh, in an isolated hut with her mom who is terrible to her but also, I think loves her in a you know it's one of those we- really really strange relationships where Miriam does love her, but she recognizes from a very early age that her mom is mistreating her and she's definitely ashamed of her because she's a harami and that has kind of forced them into isolation. Yeah, it's um, kind of that event has colored. I think there's probably some resentment. There's all obviously the love between the mother and the daughter, and yet still this resentment. Yeah, because of she's the cause of their current circumstance, right? Right. So I should probably explain. Yeah, just for anybody who hasn't read it. So the the father Jaleel is obviously a prominent member of society. Mm-hmm. He has already three wives and um, seven children. Is it something like that? A lot yeah. of kids. So when he gets with um, Miriam's mom, what's her name? Again? Nana. Nana. So when he gets with Nana, uh, it's a side piece relationship, basically. <laughs> it's a, side, a side to his other three. Yeah, I think she's his maid, isn't she? Yeah, I think she yeah. worked in the household. Like, why? If you've got three wives, mm-hmm. why do you need a side piece? There were seven days in a week. Okay. So, yeah, I'm there just are saying. nightcaps. There, yes, <laughs> Thursday came about, and he was like, "I heard that one on Monday." <laughs> He's like, "Text me her. What are you doing?" <laughs> Wednesday, I don't. I don't. Um, <laughs> oh, text man. her. You up? <laughs> you up? Question mark. Three a.m. He finishes that launch yet? I. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> rough. Anyways, we joke. We joke. Poor but Nana. obviously, yeah. So she has um, Miriam, who is a Harami, who is a technically in inverted commas bastard child mm-hmm. um, and they are cast out because Jaleel can't you know he's ashamed he, I, I, this is the thing I struggle with I don't know, he has a weird relation I think the, the wives the I wives think. and the his wives family like yeah. it, the, the situation brings shame, shame upon them upon him although you know he does carry on a relationship with Miriam yeah. and he, I think he does and you do see throughout the book and certainly like you get some closure in the end with it that like I think he does he does truly love his daughter but that that it's sense that of society and that societal yeah. pressure means that you know he can't. Just he's, can't. he's not allowed. He's not allowed to love it. But even you know they've been yeah cast out into this mud hut in the middle of nowhere. He he did provide these things. So it's sort yeah. of mm. he has to disconnect. He's forced to disconnect because society, the way that he's living, tells him to. But within that, he kind of does everything that he is able within those constructs to try and love his daughter. Right. But it's a very, it's a confusing when you're reading it because you have Nana as well, who's so, she comes across in quite a like mean, mm-hmm. cruel, abusive way for the first 30 pages. And you sort of think she's awful and, and the father's obviously much nicer, but you know these are obviously the perceptions of a child. Right. Um, so you're seeing them through that lens as well. And actually is, like, is Nana maybe just protecting her daughter? She's got this real sort of yeah, angry, protective thing of don't ever let them see this. Don't ever show them this. They will hurt. Like, it's, it mm. is, she is cruel. And she like, comes across as cruel, him. but don't yeah. Don't trust your father because, yeah. and yeah. He, you know, what ends up happening. Yeah. Oh, am I allowed to say? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's so early on in this story. We're, yeah. we're not going to go through the entire story and, and, you know, finish the ending, but I think it's important to, to yeah, start frame with, frame, establish. frame, exactly. It's literally Miriam within, yeah, the first 30 pages, like page yeah, 27. Yeah. So, Nana bites the dust, <laughs> <laughs> to say the, to say it well, in kind words. Yeah, leading up to that, obviously, to the, um, it's Miriam's birthday, and and she says she, she wants, wants to go to the cinema. She wants to go to the cinema father. with Jaleel, her father. Yeah, because he owns the cinema, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To see Pinocchio. Yeah. Oh God, that. Oh. <sighs> with the, oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we will just flash forward to yeah. like three hundred pages along the book. But, yeah. but she she de- kind of demands it. You can tell. We we can tell as readers. Um, you know, he's hesitant. This is not going to go well. She waits all day. 
he never shows up. Yeah. And she decides she's going to go and find him. And mm. Nana says, like, don't leave. If you leave, I will die, basically. Like, mm. she also, she has seizures. She has something. Mm-hmm. She, I don't know if it's epilepsy. They never say exactly what it is. But she has, um, what do they call it? It's almost like a possession. A ju- a ju- some kind of, yeah. Oh, some kind of gin. The gin. She gets yes. possessed by yes. the gin. Yeah, yeah. Um, which basically is... You know, she's had she has a seizure. Mm. Her, she foams at the mouth. Her eyes roll back in her head. But they have this more mystical mm-hmm. thing, like oh, she, when when Nana gets possessed by the jinn, you, this is what happens. So she says, "This is going to happen if you go, and no one will be here to help me. You know, you can't leave me. You can't leave me." Yeah. And inevitably, she does. Um, and she goes to her father's house, and he won't see her. Mm-hmm. And she sits out on the street, and. He won't come to see her. He's inside. He's inside. She sees she him sees in the window. She sees him in the window, yeah. Um, and then she finally kind of realizes th- what's happening and the reality and that her her mother was right. But when she goes back home... Her mom's hanging. Her, her mom has, you know, yeah. committed suicide. This is the first... Of many pages, pain. Yeah. yeah, and this is just that that happens. What twenty pages in, and you're like page twenty seven. Oh, God, and that, Literally. and you know, you said today when we <laughs> got together, that, that might be the lightest moment of the book. Yeah, it's 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 all <laughs> it's all I mean, downhill. Down. It's downhill from there. Yeah, you because I was struggling when I started reading this book. I was I was just struggling for some reason to get into it. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why. I just my, I just couldn't get into it. And then that happened. And from that, I was stolen. It was so emotional, so raw. The, it also completely changed my relationship with those characters as well. Mm. Just from understanding the emotion that is, is tied through all of these people, the father, the poor child sleeping on the floor outside her father's house. And then her mother's hanging for like how long was her mother hanging from a tree my brain was just like when was it the moment she left was it when she realized she wasn't coming back i just suddenly felt something for these characters which i hadn't initially because i was trying to work out are they awful do they hate each other are they good people i couldn't quite work it out and then that happened and i just it just stole me a little bit yeah and i think it kind of i mean that basically starts the Mm-hmm. series of events that the book covers yeah, that it's just, catalyst, it's, yeah. it just rolls on into worse and worse circumstances because now she has no family no one will take her mm-hmm. um, and how old is she at that point? 14, yeah, 14, 14, 14 she's 15, 15 when she gets married off yeah. so her father takes her in mm. for a week for a week <laughs> bless a, his soul what a nice man yeah <laughs> um, and then basically marries her off to uh, yep. a man, how old is thirty? Is he's so he's yeah late forties. The isn't wives he? are kind of because I think the wives of Jaleel, her father, orchestrated the whole thing. Mm-hmm. They do t- not want her there. They do not. It's bad for their reputation. It's bad. You know, people are watching, so they marry her off to a guy who's at least forty-five. Yeah. yeah. But I added in my head, I rounded up to fifty. I was thinking <laughs> if they're saying forty-five, he's probably yeah. a bit older. Yeah. Um, and within a week yeah. with her mom dying she's and completely the other side of the country as well yeah. it, he's a, mm. it, like you could not get this poor kid further away from you yeah. if you tried and literally handing banished. her to this old man and then shoving her to the other she's never going to get back home whatever that even means to her at that point mm-hmm. yeah, mm. it doesn't it's not a thing and I think when, when so and that's Rashid mm-hmm. Rashid yeah. Rashid is, is he's a catch because he's got a shoe shop he at, at the yeah. time, he was a catch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he made he made some shoes. Women love shoes. He made so. shoes for diplomats. He had a he had a home. Um, you know, two story home. A two story. Yeah, home. they're very um, excited about that. And wives. I think at first we there's a moment where you wonder he if he might be okay. And, and there's not, a moment where a, she right. also wonders because he is quite. He, she, he, he buys makes, her a gift he and bu- he makes she, jokes yeah. with her. Mm-hmm. The chicken street thing. Yeah, there's a there is this initial thing where you think maybe this will be mm. okay, which is foolish. And because again, it's because, so early in the yeah. book, you're like, oh good, and it all worked. And no, there's a lot of pages. Left. And it's that thing <laughs> yep. again of it being told through the perspective of a child. It is very childish. It's literally he buys her a gift and she says something like, "It was the first time I saw someone." show on their face that they loved me or cared for me. I'd never seen that before. Right. Maybe things will be fine. And it's that really childish thing of, it's just yeah. so, this thing happened, so that might be okay. I don't, I shouldn't have to worry. He made me laugh on Chicken Street. It, it'll be all right. She's still trusting. She's trusting. Saying. She's innocent enough to be trusting. And as you're reading it, you do kind of do that, even though 
you obviously know that a 14-year-old being married off to a 15-year-old ma- is never going to be okay. <laughs> the story is not going to be happily ever after. No. But you do kind of think, oh, well, maybe he'll just... I, I literally was reading it thinking, oh, maybe he'll just let her sit in that room because he doesn't even make her sleep in his bed. Yeah, yeah, I nice. thought maybe he'll room. just let her have a little room and she can do her things and he'll just go to the shoe factory and they'll just sort of plod along and it'll be fine and I'm there with what 300 more pages to go and then sort of in this weird naive bubble of he bought her a scarf he's a fine (laughs) paedophile like you know you hope that he'll be decent yeah Yeah. his grooming might not be that shit Mm. but I think the the penny starts to drop at least for me it started to drop when uh, so he very kind of gently explains to her that the rules of things that he is a very kind of traditional man mm, yeah. to say and that you know out in public yeah she can't go out by herself she yeah she, she basically starts seen. to quite gently at first lay down yeah. the ground rules but those ground rules basically are very yeah. very extremist you are modeling you are yeah. mine you will wear the so full burqa mm. in public so no other man will ever see your yeah. face no one else and this is at a time in Afghanistan where that not everyone is doing that yeah. mm-hmm. it was a good time yeah. for women in Afghanistan like that phrase gets said a few times it's a good time to be a woman yeah in Afghanistan. women had jobs still at that yeah. point mm-hmm. women were you know like she kind of like there's a point where she she does get a bit overwhelmed, but she kind of yeah. like goes to the is it to the well to get some water, and the other yeah, women yeah. start talking to her. And there's a, you know there is this moment. Let's where just you be think, super clear though. She is a child, she not is a, child. a woman. Yeah, Ooh, <laughs> she is a child, not a woman. You have difference. to remember that all the way through because it's really hard. Because also all of the women in this book, all all of the children in this book are so smart, so wise, so strong that it's really easy to forget that they're. 9, 10, 11, 12, 14, you know, they're, mm. they're young. They're really, really young. Yeah. And that naivety is, when you're reading it, quite, you get a bit sucked into it because their perspectives are so framed by their age and you're reading it and you're thinking, yeah, maybe it won't be so bad. Oh, even even when he puts down those rules, she's like, oh, well, you know, I guess I'll just do that. And then he still takes me and makes jokes with me. So it's fine. I just have to wear a burqa. It's right. still in that. You you are kind of thinking that's actually really ridiculous and controlling. But the woman who is a child is her, her naivety is controlled by her age. So if I get mm. to live in this life in this home, I didn't have a home before. And all I have to do is cover my face and essentially give up my identity, which is not even how she sees it or understands it at that point. Mm-hmm. It's just, I have to wear this outfit when I go out with this man. She kind of likes it at first, And she quite she? likes yeah. it, yeah. Because she feels a bit safe in it, yeah. inside right. of it at first. She can just look at other people. She's, yeah. you know, she's not being She's not observed. noticed, yeah. Yeah, she, she actually doesn't find it to be so bad to begin with. Which is interesting because, you know, obviously as as Western mm. Westerners or people that have grown up in the West, like you we immediately see that and think like oppression horrible but like it was interesting to get that different perspective of like that actually feeling safe yeah. and i can't imagine you know obviously we live in a obviously a culture where women are objectified you know you walk out of the street i'm you know i'm not wearing eyeliner today and i'm very conscious of that you know whereas that would remove all of that all of those self esteem issues and like you are invisible and i can this was the first time reading something where i felt like I can see why that might actually be attractive mm-hmm. to someone. If you were insecure and you yeah. were nervous, like you get to disappear and just observe everyone around you. And there yeah. is actually something quite attractive of that. And I've never, never would have kind of thought of it from that perspective yeah. before. So that yeah. was interesting. And especially for this child who has lost everything, being sent somewhere she doesn't know, is judged and even the women when she goes out and meets them they're all they crowd around her within two minutes and firing questions and they're judging her that oh you're you're so-and-so's new wife tell me everything about you so if you've come from nothing you've lost everything and you get chucked into this world where you are judged and controlled then I can imagine that hiding and not being seen when you're walking down the street and having that protectiveness of that man is a decent man that everyone knows because he has a shoe shop and he's always with you and you're kind of protected by that mm. as a child especially is probably quite comforting and she is a little bit comforted by it at first right yeah she's no longer a harami yeah she's just exactly. but she is his property yeah yeah and i think she probably comes to realize that quite quickly yeah, yeah. 
That's the context. That's where we're at. And that is probably about the last time anyone in this book feels safe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, that's a lie. The last moment that we feel hopeful is um, she, when she becomes when pregnant. When she becomes pregnant. Right. And she feels, this is a purpose. I feel so much love for this little flutter. Yeah. And, like, this is going to make everything bad that's yeah, happening okay exactly yeah. almost that thing of like everything is horrific and there's even a bit where she's talking about that the pain of sex for her mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. painful and she's almost like but it's okay because I now have this beautiful gift and I'll have this and that will mean that I can I can deal with that I can put up with that because I will have this beautiful thing that I will love and will love me mm-hmm. which is devastating but so yeah there's, it's that moment of hope and then dashed hopes yeah really quickly yeah this book loves dashed hopes yeah it gets you excited for her to have a happy ending but yeah it just doesn't happen yeah yeah she basically she she has a miscarriage but she has multiple miscarriages yes six or seven isn't it and and rashid has had a previous marriage right yes and he had a son but the son passed away he drowned Partially, well, maybe fully, because Rashid was drunk and didn't see his son, you know, go into the water. Um, So Rashid wants a son really badly. He doesn't want a daughter. I think that's made quite clear. Yeah, he buys clothes for a boy. And she even, she tries to protect him as well. Like, she keeps, she doesn't want him to get too excited. And there's bits in it where she's saying, I I just worry that he's too excited and he's going to be disappointed. And she gets quite protective about his want and need to have a son so badly because mm. I think there is a, obviously a part of her and even a, as a reader like losing a child like there, you despite him being and becoming closer like as yeah. you go through the book of absolutely horrible person mm. we don't know how horrible he is yet yeah. and there is a part of me that feels his empathy because he's had this loss and yeah. he gets so excited and he treats her so well when she's pregnant and like you once again like that you think that that's going to happen and obviously as she fails and fails again to provide him with this and to provide herself with this, you know, yeah. things get worse and worse for her and yeah. and he shuts down and she shuts down and it becomes abusive and, and a horrible thing. And that's mm-hmm. kind of when, when we kind of take a break from them for a minute yeah. and then we meet our next main character, which is... Layla. Which is <laughs> Layla, who is... <laughs> She's what nine at that point? She's yeah, she's, she's really, really young. young. What? Yeah, we meet her around nine. Yeah, and she's has this best friend Tariq, who she obviously uh, is enamored with, and they love each other. But it's very you know innocent yeah. young love, and then um, and we do find out like she lives on the same street as Miriam. So there's mention. Mm-hmm, so we yeah. switch over to Layla's story, and she mentions the the shoemaker. And his like yeah. quiet so wife that nobody ever sees. So there's a little crossover where you realize, okay, they live in the same neighborhood on the same street. Yeah. So these two women mm-hmm. exist and in the same world. But she doesn't has already mentioned, I think, about uh, Layla's parents because they're a little like, more liberal, a little yeah. more modern, and yeah. he he doesn't yeah. like. He kind of tells Miriam to like don't don't talk to them. Yeah. But then you have that exact contrast to that thing of in those little moments where. Miriam finds some kind of safety you then sort of flip to Layla and actually she has this really safe little bubble in her very dear friendship and love even though she's a child that relationship mm-hmm. is so much safer than any any scrap of safety well, that and she Miriam has a loving finds. mother and father and her, her, I mean yeah. her mother so she has a lovely loving mother and father but her mother does have a breakdown because her so Layla's two brothers go to war. So this mm-hmm. now we this is set in the time of the the communist coup and the the Soviet invasion mm-hmm. of Afghanistan. Um, and her sons are sent to the front line. At first they're very proud, but she basically the mother like never forgives the, the poor father. sweet father mm-hmm. yeah. um, for sending them away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have that that sort of dynamic there where Layla's basically the only child here and and. Her she mom is kind idiot. of despondent, so she spends so much time with Tariq, and yeah. that's her like little bit of happiness mm-hmm. in what becomes an increasingly volatile mm-hmm. space and world to be in. With the, her, her once happy and lovely parents having this kind of strained relationship at home, and bombs dropping all yeah. the time. I think isn't there a part where she describes? I can't remember if it's Miriam or her, but they describe the sound of the the whistling. Yeah, the whistling. Mm. The whistling yeah, yeah. sound of that's a bomb Layla, dropping. Yeah. It's Layla. Yeah. They're dropping all over Kabul at that point, aren't they? Yeah. 
So she's not, um, so she kind of finds comfort in her relationship with Tariq. But yeah, she's existing on the same, she's existing on the same road as Miriam, uh, but they live completely, you know, separate and, you know, opposite lives. Layla mm-hmm. grows up, you know, being told, get educated, go to school. Mm-hmm. Her dad very much wants her to, you know, go to university. Her dad's yeah. a teacher. Yeah. And she's really smart. And and the, yeah. in, in complete contrast, there's, um, there's bits when, obviously, Miriam didn't have any education other than sort of learning passages from the Quran, mm-hmm. from her, her mentor. So she is often asking Rashid for what does this mean? What is it that in a in a way that a child does in a very curious way of like, tell me about the world, I want to know stuff. And he sort of shuts her up and bashes her down. And then in complete contrast, you have Layla, who is very smart, who is encouraged to go to school by her father, who is encouraged to read. And even her friends sort of say, you're going to make something of yourself. You're so smart. You're going to be something. You're going to be on the front pages you, you've, right. you've got so much in your mind and it's a complete contrast yeah and that's what's incredible about it so the way that they meet as well is um is almost fate you know what happens is um Layla and Tariq they sleep together uh well to add up to that though Tariq is leaving because Kabul is no longer safe mm-hmm. so him and his family are fleeing but Layla's mother is still very attached to the house and to, you know, Kabul and the memory of yeah. her two sons who have gone off to war and then passed away. She basically says, I won't leave until yeah. until this is over and they are basically yeah. avenged, more or less right. not avenged. Um, what's the proper word? She needs to make sense of their loss yeah. by staying there and waiting for until it to, it's to come to its resolution because then she can... Then their death means something. Yeah. Then and they then, are actually martyred for a reason yeah. because you know, Whereas what they were fighting for yeah. has actually happened and she basically refuses to leave. Yeah. She can't find any sanctity whilst everything is a mess while while bombs are dropping, whilst people are still dying and she's just sort of like, What did my sons die for? Why did you let them go? There is no meaning in this and she will not leave until there is meaning in that. Right. So she kinda locks herself in her room, doesn't she, and just hides yeah. beneath the covers. But um, at some point in time, because there's so many bombs dropping around them, I think the decision was made that they had to leave. There was no other option. And Layla was their only surviving child, and so they decided to put her first and, and evacuate. But at that point when they're evacuating, literally, as Layla's carrying books outside and, you know, gathering them up for the taxis, uh, there's a rocket strike, and the rocket hits her house, presumably. Yeah. Well, maybe some of the neighboring houses, too. And the rest of her, well, the rest of her family is killed. Yeah. yeah. There's that devastating image where she, because she sort of knocked off her feet, mm. and she sees through the corner of her eye the T-shirt that her father's wearing, yeah. and it's just... It's devastating. Yeah. And there's that thing, it kind of, which links Miriam and, and Layla as well. Obviously, Miriam left and it was sort of her mother's, that you know, the thing which pushed her mother over the edge. And there's a bit where Layla was saying, like, I wasn't even supposed to be taking the books out. It shouldn't have been me that survived. Mm-hmm. I was just so excited. It should have been my father that was taking the books. And she, like, Miriam has this weight of... I did this and now my family's dead. I shouldn't have done this. It's all my fault. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so this is the point where the stories it, connect. It, yeah. Collide. Yeah. In just the most horrific yeah. circumstance. Yeah. So she, Layla's kind of found beneath the rubble, as put by Rashid, mm. who, you know, <laughs> ever so. He says a lot, doesn't yeah. Rashid? <laughs> <laughs> so Rashid kind of strides along in his words and rescues Layla um, and keeps her. Well, I, I assume she went to the hospital first, but but she goes back to his house essentially and, and nursing her back to health. Yes, so they're nursing Layla back to health. She has no one; uh, she's left on her own. I think that, from my perspective, I was kind of I thought quite quickly. Oh, she's in their house now. She's a very pretty young girl. I was already nervous for I her. Didn't I did it. not get it. No. I didn't really. I, I thought... Until Miriam it, clocked it, yeah. I didn't clock it. I really? thought it was going to become that she would become... Because she was young A daughter. Still. I thought she it was, was maybe going to... Once yeah. again, we were just we so We were really hopeful. naive. I, I thought she was going to become <laughs> the daughter that they'd never... Because also there's like those oh, beautiful passages yeah. of how Miriam is nursing her in that very maternal and you've got to bear in mind Miriam is still what se- not that old 17, 18 at this point mm, yeah, uh, I think she she's a be. bit older she, think, well she's still yeah. pretty young anyway but yeah so I in my mind I thought oh well she's 
Layla's young at this point. She's gonna she she's gonna become the daughter, and they're not they're gonna have a happy family. But I thought Marion might find. But we should have clocked that because she didn't yeah. want a daughter, did he? Yeah. No, we should have picked yeah. that one up quicker. I I was hopeful for Miriam. That's what it was. I yeah. thought she's gonna get that thing. That We're she's still lost. rooting for her, and yeah, God, I just want Miriam to be happy. Ever get anything she wants. <laughs> yeah. Well, she does. She does. She does. Eventually. Yeah. Um, so 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 Layla's with them for maybe a week mm-hmm. before. Rashid's, you know, his mind is obviously thinking, oh, she's this beautiful young girl. He wants to take her as his second wife. Yeah. And we also see in this part, which I also didn't clock, very dumb reading this book. <laughs> well, she's she's kind of, you go in and out of flashes of her recovery. Um, she is throwing up a lot. Yeah, I did not And I'm that. thinking oh. trauma, stress, yeah, same. sadness, yeah. grief. <laughs> Not thinking Pregnant. you had an illicit one night with Tariq before he left. Yes. And so yeah. when Miriam is pissed, when she realizes the inevitable is happening, yeah. she's like, great, now I was already a shit wife, mm-hmm. and now this young thing is here, and she immediately resents Layla yeah. and basically has to go and ask on his behalf. And Layla immediately says, yeah, I'll do yeah. it. And I was like, wait, what? And then I was like, Oh, yeah, I did not clock that she was pregnant. Timing is everything. I didn't clock the pregnancy either. I didn't away. clock the pregnancy. I didn't at, at all. all. Which I absolutely which should've. you should have done. You should have. But yeah. again, that like she is so young and she is so smart and she yeah. obviously is just like I'm pregnant. I need a way out of this. I have nothing. I have no family. I have nothing. I if I'm gonna save myself mm. and save my own life and save my child's and life. save my child because it's the only it's piece the only of three that have. I have that I need right. to act fast so that nobody yeah. will put the pieces and, together. And she's right? like 12. No, I think she's she's about 14. 14. Isn't, but 14. she's younger than Tariq and he was 14. Oh, really? Yeah. I think she's about 14. Because I thought she was about 14, 15 and it gets a bit further into the book and there's a bit about how old he is and I, I realised that she was younger. Hmm. She's a little bit younger. Yeah, we, but, you know, whatever. They're still talk. children. Yeah. <laughs> um, They're still kids. It's crazy. Yeah. So, so she's pregnant. She's pregnant. And I think the... So, you know, more or less, we're <laughs> without giving the whole story away, which we are doing, um, the, the pattern repeats, more or less, right. right? So she becomes a shiny new wife. Mariam is completely like like the set aside she does all the cooking and cleaning and she resents Layla and Layla is treated like a queen Rashid is like don't especially when she becomes pregnant uh becomes Mm -hmm. (laughs) pregnant um she was already he's ready for that son again he is so excited he is doting on her and the moment the baby is born Mm mm-hmm surprise (laughs) it's a girl it's a girl and now they're both Less than, so yeah, he doesn't right. care about the baby at all, and he almost sort of kicks the bit, like as it's as the the little girl is crawling around as as babies do. He's he's almost sort of like batting this child away. He just does not care about that child right. at all. He wants Layla's attention, really. Yeah. So he's more concerned about why is Layla not sleeping with me yet? Blah blah blah. Yeah. So he gets angry because he's not getting any essentially. Yeah. Uh, and then the baby's crying and it's a girl and so for him he's just not winning anywhere now. Yeah. yeah. Now he's got a house with three women, no son. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is called karma. Rashid. <laughs> yeah. And he blames Look it on Miriam, it. doesn't he? Yeah, constantly. Of course. Yeah. Everything. And every, everything. everything is is Miriam cheating badly? Has Miriam said something and it doesn't matter what it is it's always what has Miriam done wrong and poor Miriam is just making dal in the kitchen (laughs) for everyone (laughs) all of the time oh you know what really got me when he made her chew on those rocks oh god that was was just so bad that that was one of my top he's just that looking for reasons horrific. to he's just essentially looking for a way to vent his anger it's, at not having a son it's the yeah. cruelest way like, I mean obviously making someone chew on box but it's it's the way I think with Rashid what is the most upsetting is not just the actions but the way he goes about them he's mm. so cruel the way that his his language his Power. He sort of stands over her and is eat these. This is what you do to me when you don't cook the rice properly. This is what you do. And he's just, he's mm-hmm. a cruel monster. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's horrific. And he becomes more and more cruel the more, yeah. the more that he. The less he has a son. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the more he is disappointed, yes. the less he has a son, the, the crueler he is to these women. But there is, 
this pivotal moment um, where so Miriam there's obviously a, a huge level of jealousy as well there's this girl that's had the child she always wanted and, and mm. couldn't have mm-hmm. but there's this one moment where she comes upon them in the middle of the night and Layla is asleep and the baby is awake oh, and so beautiful. oh my gosh I'm going to cry thinking about it but the, the, she has this moment with the baby where she finally interacts with it and the mm. baby grabs her the baby finger won't let her go. and that's it and then the, this sort of slow not too slow but this like just quiet, subtle yeah. truce begins between mm-hmm, these two yeah. women. Uh, and uh, suddenly, this I've got goosebumps. Suddenly, it um, kind of transitions into them being a team. Well, there's that moment as well when um, Miriam has done absolutely nothing wrong, as Miriam does. And Rashid gets annoyed and takes his belt off and starts sort of mm-hmm. lashing her, essentially. Mm-hmm. And Layla jumps on his back and pulls him off and is saying like don't do this if she hasn't done anything don't. and Miriam says this is the first time in my life anyone had ever stood up for her stood up for me and done anything for mm. me and again like Layla this like who, who knows like Rashid what 60 or something at this yeah, point and she's a, a young uh, early teen girl and she takes on this man who's waving around a belt buckle it's just She's a strong-ass child. She really is. (laughs) And Miriam had never experienced any kind of love, solidarity, care for her not to be in pain, for Mm -hmm. anyone standing up for her. And it's it's really, it's a beautiful moment between the two women. And you're Mm -hmm. absolutely rooting. I remember reading that and I was like, take him down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Go on, Layla. And you can see Miriam's like in a corner at this point. He's literally, he's, got her into a corner with this belt buckle and you can just imagine this is not the first time this has happened to her he's no. done it to her so many times and he's done cooler things and you can when he starts you just feel this ache for that poor woman and then Layla just will not have it Mm-mm. she won't have it and she says something like this was not what I grew this was did not happen in my family mm-hmm. this did not happen between my parents I will not be in a home where this happened wow and she takes him on yeah and it's it's painful and glorious and it just those women then become these sisters this these mother daughter it's the, their relationship is the most powerful thing and no mm. matter what happens in this book you can't help but just have your heart wrenched out by the love that those Mm-hmm. Two extraordinary women have for each other. Yeah. So resilient. Resilience it is, is the word. Resilience is the word. The two of those females. The two of those females. <laughs> <laughs> those two females. <laughs> well, but we start off with, like, we're literally, again, going back to the very beginning, we are told by Miriam's mother, who probably up until this point I think you still kind of have this idea that she she was a bit cruel and a bit nuts and not very kind and then when you see Miriam going down this journey of resilience and survival you immediately hark back to that idea of endurance Mm. which Miriam's mother told her women need to endure we are on this earth from day dot everything is survival for us and it doesn't matter how good you like you think your life is you are a woman you have to endure that is how it goes and you're told that within the first couple of pages very very mm-hmm. early on and you kind of forget it because there's a whirlwind of misery happening and you, you move so far away from that little mm-hmm. hut in the desert that you, you kind of forget until you get to this point with these two women who are resilient and strong mm-hmm. and enduring and Miriam starts to think more about maybe some of the things that her mother said that maybe she wasn't actually just nuts and cruel but maybe she did kind of know a bit about the world mm-hmm. she kind of accepted that as her fate yeah. as well whereas Layla doesn't accept that as her fate yeah. I think she yeah. but that could be a, largely due to the way she was raised the environment she was in she came from love and acceptance as opposed to Miriam who only knew like twisted love really yeah, yeah. yeah. like her dad I, I do believe conditional dad, love yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly conditional yeah. love is the word yeah and in all of her relationships she Miriam has no choice no power no justice at all anywhere mm-hmm. along her story or the idea of it she's she's never had the idea of having choices and mm 
power and control over her own life, her own body. It's just not there. She's never had it. Whereas Layla has. Layla has been brought up with this idea of you have choices. You can do what you want to do. You don't get married you, you're not I'm not going to marry you off so her father yeah. said this I'm not going to marry you off so she has control over her mind her body her future her love mm-hmm. which you see from you know the very very early days of her friendship and you know later on as that progresses she just she was brought up with the idea of choice and power over her life which is taken from her but she does not back down from it she refuses to give it up no and it's crazy that even at 14 she has those fundamental principles Mm -hmm. ingrained in her to where they last the whole book and you know she wasn't easily broken down by Mm -hmm. Rashid Um, and it makes you also that's one of the large reasons probably why a lot of women in the world are not educated certain men in certain societies perhaps won't want to educate women for that sole reason is because we're so powerful and you know, if if you were brought up knowing that you have choice and that you all these precious things, freedom, yeah, then you question everything. Yeah, exactly. Whereas if you don't, you yeah. you're brought up not to know that, then you just tolerate well, she, what you're given. Yeah, she mm-hmm. has an idea of, of right and wrong, both in a very personal way, but also in a broader sense. Whereas Miriam doesn't. She she yeah. doesn't have this. She doesn't know right and wrong. She just know these are the things that happen to you, mm-hmm. and then she's in it and okay, I, I guess I'll just endure. That's mm. that's what I do. Whereas Layla has, this is right and this is wrong. This is morally right and wrong. This is right for me. This is right for society. This is how you treat people. She just has that because she was exposed to it and she does not mm. want to endure. And she will endure what she has to go through in order to get to where she wants to be. But even then, she still has a plan. Mm-hmm. She's still got an idea. She has a way out. She is making her own decisions and taking her control within that power struggle and that dynamic of abuse, she is she she knows what she has to get through, but she's going to get to the other side, and she never gives up on that. Whereas Miriam doesn't even think to consider the idea that she could get out. She yeah. just, I am here, and I just have to stay here, yeah. and I will endure. There's an end goal for Layla, yeah. whereas Miriam doesn't seem to have an end goal. She's yeah. just enduring. And yeah. sometimes I wonder, ooh, if I was in that situation... Miriam's situation, what would I do? Mm. Would I endure or would I not be able to handle what's going on and just give up? Yeah. Yeah. Because even that's a really good point. Because even though if you look at the two women side by side, you think, okay, like obviously Layla's the strong one. Layla's this, but Miriam is. Oh, Miriam is strong, strong, so strong. Even Mm -hmm. though she's not necessarily standing up, she's not as vocal about it, but the amount of things that she's yeah. gone through and is still standing, yeah. even mm-hmm. if she's deeply unhappy, is, yeah, I think the same. Yeah, And she knows... I could never tolerate that. I don't know what I would do in that world. So by that alone, she is stronger her, than I'll her, ever yeah, know myself her, to be. Her mm. strength is definitely... When you look at the two of them, it's easy to see Layla, because of her smarts, it's easy to see her as being sort of the strong one with the plan and the get out and all of this. Miriam knows there's a get out. She saw her mother hanging from a tree. Like she can kill herself if she wants to get out of this. She knows that there is always a get out. She never backs down. She never gets, the only thing she really has left for herself that she has any right and control over is her life, her literal Mm, breathing life. And she never gives it up or she takes control over how and when she might... Ha- like, that's her control. Yeah. She, she, she knows how to get out. She's seen her mother use that. And she knows when to use it and when to play those cards if she has to. And we don't see that because we're, we see Layla with her plan and this is, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to take this money and I'll take a little bit here and I'll do this and I'll do that, whatever. And always having that idea of I'm supposed to be better, I'm supposed to be educated, I'm supposed to have these things. My father said it was a good time for women in Afghanistan. I didn't listen, now I understand... And it's easy, I think, to see that as a strength. But Miriam still, no matter what is taken from her, she does not let the last thing that she has go. She takes control of her life. Mm. She's a strong cookie. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and not only that, but then once this bond is, is created between them, then she's got something yeah. to live for. Right. Yeah. She has, basically, I think what it comes down to is this story overall is a about endurance which we've said about 40 times (laughs) it's about this incredible um strength against all odds 
And it's also about family in several ways. It's like the family that you are born into and then the family that you choose and the family that you create. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the strength that that can give you and the the relationship of women Mm -hmm. in extreme adversity and the this the quiet power mm-hmm. that that can that can have right I think that's what yeah this book ultimately is about yeah yeah that's what it said to me anyway the worst thing that Rashid did was take her in because they they became a tag team yeah, yeah. quite quickly and he I think he clocked that he was like oh you're con- you know you're teaming up against me at some point and uh, it's true because the two of them together once they were able to get past the initial who she type thing uh, they bonded and that bond is indestructible yeah he he fucked that up he he, he regrets it can we curse on the podcast fuck yeah yeah he regrets it and he he constantly tries to separate them because he knows and I think that thing as well of, of as I was reading it, I was very struck by this idea. So much horrific stuff happens in this book. So much of it is distressing and sad. And it's very easy to focus on that and let those sadnesses dictate the identities and the personage of these people. But actually, it's not It's not that, I think. you don't. I, I don't look at these characters and think, oh, they're so sad. I think, good God, they're strong. Like mm. these these women are warriors and their their sadnesses do not dictate their hearts, minds, bodies. They are they mm-hmm. exist in those moments, in mm-hmm. those horrific moments. And as you're reading it, there will be moments where you have to just put it down and walk away because those moments are so painful. But then what you're left with is the power and strength and beauty of these women. Their relationship is beautiful mm-hmm. and that's what lives and lasts those moments of sadness and they're so sadness is so not the a big enough word for what you feel when you're reading this book but they are they're there and they wound and they hurt but that does not define the people that does not define these women they're not Mm. defined by those moments they're defined by the things that they create the power that they take despite despite they're they're part of their story but they're not who they are and i think Mm. that's a really hard thing to get right when you're you're writing so intensely about these abuses they're not just skimmed over some some of the the detail and the way that it's written is so honest and so intense it would be really easy for that to be everything and for that Mm. to be all that matters about these women their life is horrific and abusive and it's sad and it's awful and that's all that matters but it isn't. It's such a small part of who they are. And that's, I think, what struck me when I got to the end of this book. I just thought, I'm in love with these women. They're amazing. They're absolute warriors. And I just adore their strength and beauty. And mm. I didn't really think about the sadness. Yeah. I didn't think too much about the sadness either. And I I think there's not really that many good male characters in the book. Although Tariq is the, the yeah. one solid mm. male character. But he's never really the focal point, I think. I mean... Mm-hmm. You know, he he doesn't come and save them like some hero, you know, without giving anything away. um, Tariq is the good guy in the book, which is Layla's, the one that loved, the one that got her pregnant. Um, But it's about the women and what they're enduring as opposed to a man coming in and saving them or harming them. I think at the end of the day, it's their relationship. It's the core focal point um, and the power of relationships as well. Yeah. And the power of inner strength. Yeah. Two things. Absolutely. So, Sonia, Mm. why would you recommend this book and who would you recommend this book to other than probably everyone? (laughs) (laughs) Who would I recommend? I mean, I would recommend it to everyone. I think everyone should read this book. It's one of those books that just touches you in so many different ways, but will give you a different perspective on life and Mm -hmm. how, you know, how horrible it can be for some people. But I think culturally it's interesting as well. Growing up in America... Uh, as opposed to Afghanistan. Um, It's a cultural awakening for me as well. I I am half Punjabi. Like, I understand um, certain Asian cultures. This is um, obviously Afghanistan is in the Middle East. And it just, for me, it was really interesting from a cultural perspective to read the book and to kind of see, and from a historical perspective as well, because I didn't really know much about this, the coup that happened with the Russians. Yeah, and absolutely. How the Taliban formed and all this stuff, and everything's happening at once. So you're getting so much education from this book, 
Um, and then, you know, from a sociological perspective as well, you know, the way that they're interacting with each other and the women are just the, for me, the best part of the book. Yeah. I think everyone should read it. It's an, it's one of those books that stays with you. Um, yes, you're, you're not going to forget this book no. anytime soon. No. So on that note, I think it's probably a, a beautiful place to leave it, but um, we always end each podcast with a quote from the book that kind of sums up the the feeling of it. Um, yeah. Sonia, I know you have a quote prepared. So do you want to close us out with it? Sure thing. All right. So the quote is, she remembered Nana saying once that each snowflake was a sigh heaved by an aggrieved woman somewhere in the world, that all the sighs drifted up in the sky, gathered into clouds, then broke into tiny pieces that fell silently on the people below. As a reminder of how people like us suffer, she said, how quietly we endure all that falls upon us. I just started to cry there. Yeah, I got this really <laughs> oh. having, having a moment. <laughs> that quote kind of very, sums it. it really, it's it perfect, really right? It I'm feeling very emotional. <sighs> yeah, thank you so much for, for one, for introducing us to this book. Absolutely. I loved it. I was not expecting, I didn't actually know what to expect at all, but I I loved it and it gave me a lot to thank you for that. And then thank you for coming and talking Thanks to us about it. Thanks for being our first guest, Sonia. Um, I yeah, loved it. Been, I hope I didn't fumble over anything. We yeah. will fumble. You're an amazing, <laughs> you're an amazing first guest. I think you set the bar yeah. really high. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you for being here. <laughs> the theme of this book is endurance. The theme of this podcast is fumbling. So, uh, you did all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank Please you. read I loved the book, it. everyone. Yeah, yeah do, definitely do. Read Get the some book. tissues. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, you can there's um on the on our website which is yalpod.com uh, you can find the book on our bookshelf our virtual bookshelf so you can click there to to purchase it and if you want to be the next sonia if you think you've got what it takes after that stellar performance um please go to our website and apply to be a guest you don't have to be in london we can do it virtually as well but let us know what book you would love to discuss um and that had an impact on you yeah yeah so Ooh. thanks everyone mm-hmm. and we'll uh See you next time. To be continued. To be continued. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) (laughs) Your Own Wes is hosted by Alison Dunnings and Becky Graham. It is recorded in London at the Pitch Room in Runway East Soho. Theme music by Natasha Pasternak. Read along with us at yowpod.com.